Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Threepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void where prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Reaper, the editor of Royals Review. Joining me as usual is Sean Newkirk. Sean, how are you this evening? Max, I'm here. I'm ready to ready to wrap up the season here. Ready for the last week of Royals baseball. Also joining us is Matthew Lamar. Matthew, are you ready for this exciting last week of Royals baseball? Oh, absolutely. I want to see uh, if the Twins can get to 100 wins, which is not the point of the Royal season, which goes to show just how the Royal season has gone. And the Royals, of course, lost. They've they've lost a hundred games, which uh, Craig Brown mm-hmm. artfully pointed out in an article this week. Craig Brown also joining us. Craig, how are you doing? I'm doing good, Max. Well, I brought you guys all together because of the big news this week. Uh, the Ned Yost era is coming to an end. The 64 year old skipper announced that this will be his last season as Royals manager. He'll finish out this last week before hanging it up. Ned Yost has led the team since May of 2010, winning 744 games so far, most in Royals history. His team's improved their win total every year from 2011 to 2015, of course, culminating in two pennants and a championship in 2015. Uh, We'll talk about what's next and and potential replacements in a bit, but first I wanted to kind of focus on the legacy of Ned Yost. And Craig, you know, I I remember it's not that long ago we at Royals Review were were calling for him to be fired, what, what, five years ago? Uh, and he's kind of endured it all. How will the Ned Yost era be remembered in Kansas City, do you think? Yeah, Max, point point of order here, though. I don't think I ever called for Yost job. I, I, I aimed higher. I went for Dayton <laughs> more. But, but, you know, Yost, I, I mean, you know, the legacy is flying on the flagpoles out over left field. I mean, it's, it's, it's two American League pennants in a, in a World Series. It's it's a shame that it's kind of ended this way with back-to-back 100 lost seasons, um, you know, through really no fault of his own. He just hasn't had the, the, the talent to contend. Uh, that's that's a failure of, of the front office. Um, but, you know, I mean, it's, it's a guy who, you know, uh, contains multitudes for me. I mean, you know, strategically – would, would drive you bonkers with some of the matchups that, that he would play, the, the moves that he would or wouldn't make, thinking about, you know, like, you know, pinch hitting for Alcides or not pinch hitting for Alcides Escobar um, because he didn't want to get into his dome. But then Escobar turns around and is the MVP of the 2015 ALCS. Um, you know, it, it's, uh, it's a complicated legacy, which any legacy should be, uh, you know, after he's – He's been at a place for so long, but, uh, you know, ultimately it's a positive one. Uh, and, and that's because of the, the, the American League pennants and the World Series title. And Matthew, I think 
that that seems to be like kind of the general consensus that like as a tactician we can always criticize Ned Yost and certainly he's made some blunders. I mean, I think you know if 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 the ALCS or if the world the wild card game against Oakland goes a little bit differently, we all remember him as the guy that put Jordana Ventura in the middle of the game for no seemingly no reason. But uh, but it seems like everyone kind of generally applauds him for his ability to run that clubhouse. Is that kind of how you remember him as well? Yeah, I think so. Obviously, other than, than winning the World Series and the uh, ALCS. You know, it's funny you mention um, the uh, Ned Yost. Um, his decision to put in Jordan Ventura, I was there excuse me, I was there at the wild card game, like a couple of you, and I remember vividly thinking in the sixth inning, I think, when it happened, that he might be the first manager to be fired <laughs> the evening of the game. Like, everyone was was just mad because Yost just ruined it. But I think you're right. I think generally when fans think of the manager in baseball, they think of a guy who can control more than he really can. Um, and I really think that a good baseball manager does a lot of things that you can't see uh, on the field necessarily. I mean, you think about it when you play a baseball game, that's three hours a day. Well, you know, the players have been there all day. They put in all this prep time. They, they study pitchers, they study batters. Um, you know, there's a lot of time that, that fans don't see. And I think the biggest thing that a manager can do is to build a, uh, a clubhouse and a culture that the fans and the players, um, the players more so can can buy into and uh, tap into their potential. So I think that's the biggest thing about Ned Yost is that by all accounts, um, players loved playing for him and uh, thought that he respected them and they respected him. And I think that's a really healthy thing to do. And it's not very easy when the team's losing a hundred games a year, but you know, there's to Nedio's credit. I mean, you think about it, this is the second year in a row. They're going to end with over a hundred losses and there hasn't been a peep from any of the players, from any of the media that Nedio's is doing a bad job at all. It's um, maybe a couple of the fans who are, unhappy with losing, but that's more so a case of not really understanding Ned Yost can't sign the players, right? All he can do is, is pilot the ship. And most managers, I feel handle tactical situations pretty similarly. So it's what you can do behind the scenes that matters. Well, Sean, how do you evaluate Ned Yost? Cause you know, we look at his resume, he won 744 games. He also lost 836. I mean, he only won 47% of his games, only three of his nine full seasons as manager were winning seasons, so you know certainly a lot of L's on his resume. Uh, does that matter? Is it? Are we you know should we judge him by his win loss record? Um, I mean that's a it's a tough question because yeah, um, I think I I, I I think I've kind of rumbled about this a bit where it's like I'm of the mind where a really good there's let's just say there's three managers. There's a good one, there's a average one, then there's a bad one. The the good ones. Um, help out. They make their team better. They put their team in the best position to win. I would say. Um, and then there is the average managers who you know are average. Then there's the bad managers who put their teams in the best position to lose. Effectively, um, I think the potential impact for a good manager is a lot less than the potential impact for a bad manager. In the sense that a bad manager can have a greater impact on their team's ability to play and win as opposed to how a good manager is. Um, so really bad manager can mess stuff up. 
I wouldn't say Yost is a good manager because I'm not sure he often put his team in the best position to win. But um, I'm not – so he's somewhere between an average or below average. I wouldn't – I don't – I hesitate to call him a bad – and I've been someone who's been incredibly critical of Yost. But I, I wouldn't – I, I kind of hesitate to call him someone who was very, very bad. But I don't think he could be better than average. I'd say he was below average. Um, you know, we knew a lot about the strict <clears throat> bullpen roles – uh letting their guys go letting his guys go several times through the order i mean uh we're all kind of aware of his deficiencies and for what it's worth i mean he was a great clubhouse manager in that sense um and i think that's good to have for maybe a developing team um but i do think that the 2014 2015 royals i wouldn't say that they they won despite of him but i think that I'm not sure Yost uh, enabled them, uh, you know, the way that he might get credit for. But I don't think win-loss record is necessarily the way to go because what's he going to do? I mean, um, Connie Mack couldn't win, you know, 90 games with this team, uh, the 2019 Royals. So it's not like something Yost could have done. So in some cases, it's good to use win-loss um, if you think that, uh, you know, the manager is good and makes good decisions. But I think that's more – I think win-loss record is more on a general manager than it is an individual coach. Yeah, and I feel like when he was given a good team, he did uh, have some success, which is, you know, really what you're looking for. I mean, most of his era, you know, was with was with a rebuilding team in Kansas City. I mean, he took over a team in 2010 that hadn't really won anything, really was kind of a mess of a team, you know, if we remember the Trey Hillman days. And, you know, he gave them some stability. I think he was a calming influence in that clubhouse. And, and they did improve every year. Uh, if you do want to judge him on win-loss record, they did make improvements every year until, until uh, 2015. Uh, if you want to knock them a little bit, you know, and then the two subsequent years with basically the same team didn't really play up to snuff. So perhaps that would be a little bit of a mark on his record. But certainly I wouldn't, uh, you know, say the last two years are indicative of his managing, uh, manage, uh, managing uh, abilities at all. Uh, so, you know, I think you, all, you have to take all of his wins and losses in kind of that context of, of the situation he was in. But I think I think you're right about, like, putting guys in the best situation that, that you can. And, and he was a pretty good manager at that. Uh, and certainly there are tactical blunders that you can point to. But I kind of feel like that's the truth. The, uh, complaining about your, your team's manager is a tradition that goes back to, like, 1876 when the first Louisville fan cr- criticized their team for, for whatever they were doing with the lineup. You know, I feel like, you know, there there are so many bad managers out there. I mean, I feel like maybe 80% of the managers out there aren't really very good. And even the ones that I do think are good, like, say, Joe Madden, I think he, he's a really good manager. He still makes – he makes some head-scratching uh, decisions uh, all the time. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, I, Yost is going to make some head, you know some terrible decisions. He's going to make some uh, bad decisions that work out. He's going to make some good decisions that don't work out. Uh, and that just kind of comes with the territory. Certainly the Alcides Escobar leading off thing, you know, stands out as a decision that, man, that just didn't seem like it should have worked, and it did for somehow. Uh, and that was just kind of the way Ned Yost, and he didn't apologize for whatever, you know. That's just kind of the way he was. Uh, and in a way, I kind of respect that, you know, just kind of like his, his kind of curmudgeonly you know that's my way and and uh i'll kind of stick with it uh, and it's i think sometimes his belief and his stubbornness paid off and sometimes it didn't but um but I, yeah i think ultimately the the flags fly forever and i think you got to give him his due for for what you know all, you know, all the detractors and all the critics uh they can never take the way that championship ring and so um so yeah i think uh ned Yost, uh 
you know, he kind of you know, he'll kind of ride off into the sunset in Georgia, and and we'll get to kind of uh, prove all his detractors, including us at Royals Review, wrong. So, uh, you know, kudos to, to Ned Yost and and, and a farewell, I guess. Uh, did you guys have anything else to add about uh, Ned Yost's legacy or uh, how he'll be remembered? Do you think there'll sure. be a statue, I guess, in Can- in Kansas City for him? That's a really great question. I would say probably just because there's precedent, um, but I'm just going to go plug. Uh, Andy McAuliffe has a really great piece on The Athletic, even though he no longer writes about the Royals. Um, you know, Nettios retiring for Andy, that's like, you know, catnip. He's got to write about that. So he wrote some of his best um, just stories about Nettios, and they're all amazing, and each one is better than the last. It's in addition to being you know, a really interesting manager. Nedios was a really interesting person. And I think that sort of adds to his, you know, his, his legend in Kansas city. Um, you know, it's an interesting hypothetical. If he was just like a, just a boring baseball guy, I don't know if he would be the same, you know, would he still be Nedios? You know, I don't know. Yeah. Nedios once chauffeured Andre, the giant, I think around, uh, and on trip once, uh, he's friends with Jeff Foxworthy and Dale Earn. He was friends with the late Dale Earnhardt as well. So yeah, he's lived a life. Uh, definitely. Um, you know, Craig, I know you may have had some inter- interactions with Ned or at least covered him a little bit. Uh, you know, what you've seen that kind of Ned with the media, like we, I know it got a little combative, but it always seemed kind of playful. Like you like it was never really mean spirited. Uh, you know, what was kind of your impression of Ned, the person uh, interacting with the media. Yeah, he just he always seemed to to uh, to have kind of that that edge. You never knew what you were going to get. You you had a pretty good idea. Uh, I've been around more post game uh, than any kind of pregame media scrums. Uh, so you know, post game, you watch the game, you see what happens, and and you have a really good idea as to as to you know how he's going to be feeling when he when he comes into the interview room after the, after the game. Um, but you know, I mean, he he's a, he just I, I I like him from from the standpoint of you know he he will give a thoughtful answer. You may not agree with it. It may not make a lot of sense to like an analytical baseball mind or, you know, a, a sabermetrically inclined baseball mind, but there is something there. It's, it's not like he's just, you know, randomly pulling levers and, you know, seeing what happens. Um, you know, I, I, I suspect all managers are like that. It, it's fascinating for me, at least to listen to his thought process when, when he explains that. Um, I think the the thing you know that, that that's just the craziest for, for me about Yost is starting on September 30th, 2014, he became like this riverboat gambler that could just basically do no wrong. He's sitting at the blackjack table holding an 18, and he and he hits and he draws a three, and he he played that streak for 18 months until you know or, or longer. Uh, or I'm sorry, like like 14 months, you know, until November 1st of 2015. And it, it was a hell of a ride. And it was just, it was, you know, it, it seemed like in that stretch, every decision that he made was, uh, you know, was gold. And the other thing, you know, I mean, if we talk about his one loss record, I mean, the dude has the highest winning percentage in postseason history, I, I think. Yeah, that's um, right. Seven, seven, ten yeah, winning percentage. I, yeah, I, I mean, and, and that's not like he, he played like five, you know, he managed five games. I, I mean, you know, there, there, it's, you know, the with, with the, the three layers of, of postseason now, you know, and he, I, I can't remember exactly how many he managed. It 
but it's not a, a, an unsubstantial amount. So, I, I mean, uh, you know, his, uh, you know, to, to kind of paraphrase Billy Bean a little bit, his, his you know what, worked in October. And, uh, you know, uh, that's that's a big part of the narrative here. Yeah, and I think also people think of, you know, he's not, he wasn't exactly ecstatic and set in his ways. I mean, I, I know he was, he was a little bit stubborn about some things, but I do feel like, you know, he came to Kansas City with, having managed in Milwaukee before, and his reputation there was nervous Ned. I mean, he was fired with two weeks to go before that team was in the postseason. Uh, and there were some reports of him not getting well, getting along with some of the players, or at least some frictions in that clubhouse as well. And yet, I, I think he came to Kansas City a little bit of a different manager, a little more laid back. I mean, I think there were some tensions, you know, there when they were starting to scuffle a little bit, and you heard some grumblings about them, um, uh, you know, possibly him possibly being relieved of his duties. But um, but he did evolve, I think, over the years. He, I think Sal Mellinger had a really good piece in the Star today about how he's kind of evolved once he came to Kansas City and started trusting his players a little bit more and kind of delegated some things to them. And I think he really did empower them a lot, gave them kind of the green light when they wanted to on the bases, uh, certainly kind of deferred to them on a lot of matters, let some of those guys run the clubhouse. Um, and so I think he, he did evolve over time. And I think once he did have some success, you definitely saw a much more laid back um, laid back Ned Yost with the media whereas before maybe it was a little pricklier and, and afterwards he had he had uh, after he had some success the, the 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 banter with the media I think was a little more playful a little more uh, you know I'm just messing with you kind of thing so he did evolve over time I think in a lot of respects um, and and you know hey I think that's part of why he was successful and and uh, and he can ride off into the sunset like I said so you know the Royals have not yet named a replacement I think it'll take some time um, they'll, they'll probably do their due diligence and look at all sorts of candidates, but there are already rumors that the person next in line is former Cardinals manager Mike Matheny. Uh, Matheny was hired by the Royals as a special advisor last year after he was dismissed by the Cardinals. He did win a pennant with St. Louis in 2013. He won 56% of his game, so he has a pretty impressive resume on paper, but he also left uh, St. Louis with kind of a reputation for running a, a humorless clubhouse with some friction between players and himself. And his teams did decline in each of their last couple seasons. They missed the playoffs his last uh, two full seasons, and he was dismissed uh, in the middle of the season in 2018 with the team around 500. So, Matthew, what are your kind of your thoughts on on the potential hiring of Mike Matheny? Uh, what 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 is there any kind of uh, you know? I know a lot of Cardinals fans have kind of laughed about it, and a lot of Royals fans are skeptical. But what what, what do you kind of make of the potential hiring of Mike Matheny? Yeah, so we think there are a number of red flags regarding Matheny. Um, one red flag is that the Cardinals are an impeccably well-run organization. I wrote a piece last year that sort of ruffled some feathers, but I basically said the Cardinals are the organization the Royals think they are. The Cardinals are consistently good. They consistently have um, standards for excellence. They consistently meet those, and when they don't meet those, um, they they cut you loose. And Mike Matheny, you know, didn't meet those standards. And also, you know, and this is especially concerning in light of the really interesting uh, piece about Danny Duffy um, and his struggles, um, you know, with uh, panic attacks and, and whatnot. Um, and his story at the beginning of the piece about having veterans who were basically harassing him. Um, one of the the big reasons, and if I recall correctly, maybe the last straw regarding Matheny was uh, Bud Norris, who was a 33-year-old veteran, um, not even a longtime Cardinal. Um, he was um, basically harassing and, and hazing this 21-year-old pitcher whose name escapes me. Jordan Hicks. Um, 
Yeah. And it was, you know, it was, it was a whole thing. And when uh, Matheny was asked about it, Matheny just sort of laughed it off. Like, oh, that's not, you know, veterans will be veterans, you know, whatever. And that's just, that's just a huge red flag because it seems to be in total opposition to the clubhouse that Nadios ran, which was really open um, and really fun and really, you know, accepting. And, you know, that Duffy um, has been able to, uh, you know, cope better as Nedio's career has gone on, as has and as he's sort of formed this welcoming clubhouse. You know, um, I think there are a couple of quotes from younger players who who have said, you know, they've been happy um, with the clubhouse, um, and you know, it's not like it used to be, and that's an undoubtedly good good thing. You know, I think that. Um, hazing is basically just another word for harassment, and that's not something you want in any workplace at all. And to have a guy whose name is kind of sort of synonymous with uh, baseball hazing at this point is just a really, really big deal and not great. So it's not good, and especially, you know, and somebody else uh, can get into this, but we've got, um, I think, a couple of good uh, and interesting candidates internally that are not named Mike Matheny. So it's just it's just kind of bizarre. The whole thing's a little weird. Well, on the other hand, you know, Matheny did have some success in St. Louis. He did go to a World Series. He won 100 games one year, Sean. So he does have a track record. The Royals reportedly are looking for someone with managerial, managerial experience. I, mean, I think Matheny certainly has that. I mean, is, is he, this, you know, the clubhouse stuff is a little concerning, but uh, he has gotten results in the past. What do you, what's your, kind of your take on Mike Matheny? I don't know. I mean, I think <clears throat> I think the semi-consensus is that he just was blessed with a world. Right, he took over for the Cardinals right after Larusso won the World Series, or pretty close after that. So, I think that's kind of the consensus that he just did well with the roster that was given to him. And look, I mean, if you're going to give me Matt Carpenter and you're going to give me all these like, um, gosh, who am I missing? JD Mar, not JD Martinez, uh, Jose Martinez, um, all the random dudes that they've called up over the years that just end up being good. Tommy Pham. Um, if you're going to give me those guys, then yeah, okay, uh, no problem. So I, I think I, I really don't care about his success with the Cardinals because I'm not sure. Again, everything I've read about him, and I'll admit I didn't watch a ton of Cardinals games. Um, I, you know, I watched enough as they were highlights and the, and whatnot, but you know, I didn't sit down three nights a week and watch you know eight innings of the Cardinals. Um, so I don't know. Everything I know about Matheny has been just what I've read about his managerial decisions. Um, I think it was Deadspin or someone had a good piece recently. Actually, no, uh, it was Good Old Royals Review, I think, um, had a piece on him not that long ago about uh, Matheny's potential future with the Royals and kind of the, the vitriol he got um, as a Cardinal manager. And Max, you can I'll send you the link, and you can link it in this podcast like a good editor would do. I believe uh, I wrote that piece. <laughs> I think you did. Yeah. 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 Uh, Thanks for so, remembering. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, so no, I'm not that hopeful in him as a manager. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know who I'd like as a manager, if that's the kind of question coming up. Um, I, I'm not sure that there's like – I'm not sure there's a template for a good manager – the only thing I think they can do is just listen to their analytics department, which you know obviously requires you to have a good analytics department. But assuming you have a good one, you listen to it, and you kind of don't get in your own way. Um, because I mean, you know, Kevin Cash has stepped up. For, I I don't think anybody thought Cash would be a good manager off the bat, but he's obviously done well. 
um, you know, and just kind of stepped in and did good. So I think it's props to the, to the front office. And, and again, that goes back to what I said earlier about good managers versus bad managers. I think the good managers just don't get in their own way. Um, and basically, you know, run the clubhouse well, don't get in your way. I think that's the way to go. So I don't know. I don't think I have anybody. You mentioned analytics, and that's sort of, I guess, why uh, Matheny didn't work in St. Louis as well. He was very kind of averse to analytics. He takes a very old school approach, and I think that's part of why maybe the Royal, at least, you know, the Royals brought him on, or they like uh, kind of what he brings to the table. And, you know, Craig, Bob Nightingale of USA Today is already reporting this is kind of a done deal. Um, you know, we did see this template. Uh, where the Royals hire a special advisor with Ned Yost. You know, they brought Yost in as a special advisor uh, in 2010, and five months later, he was their manager. Is Mike Matheny kind of a, a, a certainty at your at this point, you think, uh, as, the, as the next manager? And what, what's kind of your take on him? Man, I, I, I hope not. I mean, it, it's, you know, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm in line of thinking, you know, along, along with Matt. It, it just, you know, the, there's just too many red flags. Uh, from his time in, in St. Louis. And, you know, we, we just spent, you know, a half hour, you know, talking about how, you know, Ned Yost was like a master of managing the clubhouse. And, 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 and Matheny just seems like the, the anti-Yost as, as far as that goes. I think it would be really unfortunate for the Royals to, to go that direction. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, if the Royals want to stay internal, you've got Pedro Grafal, who, you know, is kind of been the conduit between the coaching staff and the analytics staff. Uh, you know, he really embraces the analytics, uh, is a believer, is is somebody that, um, uh, you know, I, that, that I think, you know, has a good rapport with most of those players in that clubhouse. Um and and would would do a, a great job. You've got Mike Jerschley, you know, the third base coach, who has managed, of course, f- for the longest time in, in AAA Omaha. So obviously, he has experience working with young players. Um, you know, uh, that that's that's another candidate that that would you know be ideal. Of course, Dale Swaim is is on the staff as as the bench coach. He was the guy that stepped in in Milwaukee when they fired Ned Yost. You know, uh, eleven years ago. Uh, that would be kind of interesting. Not entirely sure, you know. Uh, I'm just a little more ambivalent about uh, Swain as as opposed to, you know, the guys that, that we know less about, I guess. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think that there's there, there's an opportunity here. You know, I, I think that the the Royals really need to, and, and I hope that they do their due diligence if if they want to go outside. I'll throw a couple other names out there: Raul Abanez who, of course, is, is, you know, forever going to be popular in Kansas City, just about anywhere that, that he's played in the past. Uh, currently with the Dodgers, you know, uh, that that might be, you know, a really interesting hire. Uh, somebody else, you know, if you want to go really outside the box, I mean, you, you hear really positive things about the leadership of Carlos Beltran. I mean, would that be crazy? I, 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 I mean, that's just the name that I'm just like, you know, throwing out there. I've heard nothing you know that's like the longest of long shots but you know you know if if we're we're talking names why not throw Beltron into the mix yeah Banyas and Beltron seem to be two guys that um who don't have any coaching experience at all but their names get tossed out as like oh yeah that guy would make you know really good um managerial managerial candidate just just because of his the way he conducted himself as a veteran and of course we all remember Raul Banyas and how you know the the um uh, how he rubbed off on the Royals in 2014 uh, and, you know, was a really great uh, 
presence in that locker room. Beltron right now is a special advisor with the Yankees. Ibanya is a special advisor with the Dodgers, so it's uncertain whether or not those guys would even be interested in managing, but uh, certainly I think uh, you're right. If, if they were interested in that and interested in coming to Kansas City, it would probably make sense to at least bring them in for an interview. Um, Jeffrey Flanagan does say that, you know, hold off on the Mike Matheny talk. It's not a done deal yet. He does point to Griffal and Dale's fame as, as internal candidates. And Matthew, is there, is there anything, uh, anyone you're looking for to be a candidate or maybe qualities you're looking for in a potential manager, uh, what the Royals, that the Royals should be looking for when they hire the next skipper? Yeah, I think, you know, like I said earlier, I think one of the biggest things a manager can do um, is sort of be the leader of the culture. And you think of all of these startups, which place so much emphasis on culture and everything. And, um, you know, when you zoom back a little bit, a little bit from um, from baseball specifically, you know, a company's culture and uh, how people interact with each other um, and, and the standards for which they interact and help each other is really important uh, for any workplace and especially in baseball. So I'd be looking for a manager who could be really good at forming a cohesive, you know, being the captain of the ship, basically. And the tactical stuff is sort of secondary in my book because I feel like a lot of times a lot of managers just, you know, do the same sort of thing, right? If you have um, a righty who's been pitching an inning and he's been he's got two outs and there's a lefty coming up who is really good against righties and you've got a lefty warming in the pin, every manager in baseball is going to swap out you know, for that lefty-lefty manager, unless that, you know, right-hander happens to be Wade Davis or something. Um, you know, so I don't think that the tactical considerations are as, are as big. And to that end, I think uh, Pedro Grafal would be good. You know, being bilingual, I think, is a huge deal. Um, and Carlos Beltran, uh, I agree, is also something else. Um, and I don't know, uh, I recommend you guys read uh, Astro Ball if you haven't. Um, to all the listeners, um, there's uh, a really interesting, you know, uh, plot line in the book about how the Astros got beat in 2015, and the brain trust sort of said, "Hey, we need someone to be like a cohesive, uh, cohesive, you know, um, player um, that can just sort of bridge the gap and and help clubhouse chemistry." And Carlos Beltran was that guy. And there's a lot of information in there about how about Carlos Beltran. Um, throughout his career and with the Royals and the minor leagues and the major leagues was always the guy who sort of just gelled and was uh, able to help uh, people. And there's a story in there. Um, it was, I think it was game seven. Uh, Carlos Beltran noticed that you Darvish was tipping his pitches and he told everyone and you know, the, the Astros won game seven and they won the world series. Um, so I think Carlos Beltran would be an interesting choice. You know, I think there's a movement in baseball that, uh, more recently, where you don't have to have managers who have had years of experience. I mean, if you look at like Gabe Kapler and stuff, so uh, probably Beltran or Grafal, I think, would be my choices. Of course, Beltran and Ibanez both have Royals ties. Just to throw out a couple other names of guys that may have Royals ties, there's Dusty Wathen, who, um, you know, that is the son of former Royals manager John Wathen, um, who was a longtime player and manager here. Uh, Wathen is, Dusty Wathen is a third base coach with the Phillies right now. Um, he, of course, spent his uh, time as a player in the Royals organization as well uh, he, and grew up in Kansas City, so he'd have some ties here. Uh, an interesting name that I hadn't really considered, uh, Jay Bell, 
who spent one year with the Royals, so I don't know if he has deep ties to the Royals. But he's a double-A manager with the Yankees uh, and has had some success in their in their minors and, and has had a hand in developing some of the young players they have as well. So, um, you know, perhaps they go with one of those routes. It could be that they go entirely outside of the organization. I mean, Ned Yost didn't have any Royals ties, uh, so maybe the Royals go in a different direction and they look for someone uh, who's just considered a really good um, name out there. And I expect I'll, I'll probably come out with an article here in the next week or two looking at a more exhaustive look at candidates. But I know um, Astros bench coach, Joe Espada is considered a, a pretty good candidate out there. If the Royals are looking for someone with managerial experience, of course, Mike Sosha is still available. I don't know if he's, you know, if he's retired for good. Um, there's rumors that he may be linked to the Padres job, which opened up this week as well. Um, and then um, uh, another name is that could open up here pretty soon is Joe Madden with the Cubs. I, I, I don't know that he'd want to take on a job in Kansas City uh, if he does get relieved of his duties in Chicago, but that would be a possibility well uh, as well. Of course, he's about the same age as Ned Yost, and you may not, you know, if you want to have a young team and have like a new era in Kansas City, you may not want to go with a guy like that. You know, Madden may, and Madden may decide he doesn't want to do a rebuild. He'd rather do a team that's closer to contention, but that would be another name that's out there. So we'll kind of see where they, what direction they end up going. Of course, you know, a change in ownership will also add another interesting wrinkle to this hiring process. And uh, but ultimately, we'll have to see where the, what the Royals end up doing and and uh, and w- what direction they go. But it'll it'll be a new era in Kansas City, regardless. Let's take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, we'll discuss the Royals' use of analytics. Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it then in that moment. You don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of like afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts. Well, the Royals have been mocked in the past for clinging to some of their old school philosophies and not embracing some of the more modern analytics that other front offices are using. Alec Lewis of The Athletic pushed back on that notion a little bit with an article last week detailing some of the actions the Royals have taken to embrace analytics. In his piece, he describes how the piece, uh, the team has positioned assistant general manager J.J. Piccolo as an on-field coordinator and how the team has created new director roles in areas such as behavior science, sports science, leadership development, and quantitative analysis. Sean, I know you had a chance to read the piece. Do you think the Royals are making the right steps here? Um, I don't know. It kind of felt hard to really get any good information. Uh, good's wrong word, but get any good way in the sense of like, oh, we know they're doing this or they're doing that. Uh, we knew Baseball America a little while ago wrote about them using Rapsido and Edgetronic a little bit more. Um, so I don't know. It's 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 tough because you think that they are, and you get these things. And it, it, to to the Athletics' credit, I I don't want to say that the star is like a mouthpiece or anything, or MLB.com necessarily is. Uh, But The Athletic has typically done a really good job of being independent in the sense that they're willing to write critical pieces about 
um, the team. You know, MLB.com is never obviously going to do that. Casey Starr will rarely do that. Um, but the Atlantic has no issue has no issue doing that. And um, so I don't think that they just posted that as a feel good story, being like, oh hey, you know. Uh, let's just pipe up the club. So there was some good information in the sense that it seems like there was enough information for Alec Lewis to write about that, um, which is, you know, a, a good um, a, a good basis to start from. But I am still curious on, you know, if they're using analytics, it, it's tough to see either the information is good and it's not getting up to the top or the information is bad and it is getting up to the top because I'm not sure if we've seen those thought process really played out. Um, but, you know, with the offseason signings last year, Jorge Lopez pitching a bunch, Keller, Junis kind of maybe taking steps back, uh, just kind of, you know, random things like that where it's like, okay, what information, what positive processes are coming out of the usage of analytics? And that's something that I think we still remains to be seen. Um, but, you know, maybe they just started this, you know, two, three months ago, uh, really rolling it out heavy. And, you know, I sat in on that um, that presentation with um, – I already forgot who his, na- his name uh, – the – whatever's the director of research uh, for the Royals. Daniel Matt. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, I, I got a bit from that, but it still kind of left me wanting more, wanting to understand what they're doing more. And so – I don't know. We'll see. It, it was good to read more about it. And, you know, like I said, it's a positive thing that Lewis was, you know, had the was enabled to write about that because it there's got to be some smoke there. Right. Um, otherwise, there wouldn't have been a story. So I, I do like that. Uh, but I think it still remains to be seen what their process is and, you know, um, what that ends up, you know, impacting on the field. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I think the piece, if it was lacking anything, was kind of an example of like, oh, yeah, we used analytics to fix this swing, or we knew Hunter Dozier had a hard hit rate, we knew he'd come around, or something like that. I think you're right. Um, and I think, you know, there was an, actually an example a couple weeks ago, Brad Keller, in one of his either pregame or postgame interviews, was talking about the use of Edgetronic to kind of work with his uh, some of his, his, uh, his stuff, and that it helped him quite a bit. Uh, so you know there is there are some examples I know of of the Royals using analytics to to their success. Uh, Craig, what was kind of your takeaway from from the piece? Do you think the Royals are moving in the right direction? Or are they still kind of behind the curve, is, or is it just too hard to tell? I'll I'll fall into the category of it, it's still a, a little too early to tell. Um, the this this group is just notoriously cagey by nature. They. They're, they hold their cards super tight. They're going to reveal just a little bit, just give you a little bit of a taste to, to get you going. Yeah, hey, th- there is an analytics department. Yes, they are looking at, at you know, the data that they get from Rapsodo and, and you know, all the latest, uh, you know, cutting-edge technology. What do they do with that? They're not going to tell you. Um, it, it's just it's it's the way that that you know. I mean, I I think that's just kind of a, a top down thing. I think that that's just kind of the way that the Dayton Moore is. Uh, um, you know, so so there was a, a lot in this article that you know kind of pulled back the curtain just a little bit, just gave you that uh, a, a little bit of that taste. But you know, uh, the Royals are, are obviously not hostile to analytics. They're they're not hostile to. Uh, you know, learning and trying new things. You know, uh, I, I I always, you know, myself pivot back to to how much how much they've used the shift in in the past. 
um, the last couple of years. They've really amped it up. Recently, that's declined a lot. The shift doesn't work really well for the Royals. It, it doesn't work as well for the Royals as, as it does for other clubs. And certainly at the rate that the Royals were using the shift in the, in the first couple of months of the season, it didn't work. So that's kind of the, the, the question. It's like, yeah, you've got this data, you're using it, but are you using it properly? Are you using it or are you getting the best out of it? And that's what, you know, obviously they're trying to do. You know, I have no doubt they looked at it and said, you know, this isn't working for us. We need to go back to the drawing board. Um, at least you, you, you hope that that's what's happened. Um, you know, I, it, it's just it's, it's the way that the, the, the game is now. you got to have, you know, all these all these positions that, you know, that the Royals have hired for over the last couple of years in the analytics department. It's just going to keep growing and growing and growing. It's it's good to see that the Royals are open to that. It's good to see that, uh, you know, that they've used some of the data in, in the past that, that we can at least tangibly see. Um, you know, the next step is just it's it's quantifying the important data because there's so much of it out there and, you know, making those adjustments. Um, you know, I, I, I hope that, that we can see some success stories like what we've seen in, in Houston. And, you know, to echo Matt's point earlier about Astro Ball, I mean, you know, the, the book is loaded with with examples um you know so you know that that that's the goal of i think every analytics department it's no different in kansas city well i think one of the telling quotes too from the piece uh and i think someone in our internal slack channel uh at royals review pointed this out but it meant just talking about ned yost and his use of analytics and it says the quote is does that mean he uses them like say the oakland athletics or the houston astros no <laughs> and and that's kind of uh, i think a big part of it uh matthew is that you can have these great analytics department but still and i think sean pointed this out you know you kind of need integration with the coaching staff and the players you need to be able to communicate uh this stuff to to the people that are actually executing it and i know the astros are very aggressive about you know when they acquire a player sitting them down and saying okay here's what's working for you and here's what's not and here's what we've broken it and we've broken it down for you uh, I don't know if the Royals do that or not. Um, what's what's kind of your sense on how the Royals are using it? And, and keeping in mind we're having a new manager, uh, you know, how important is that that they get someone that can kind of bridge that gap between the analytics department and and the players? Yeah, I think it's super important. I think with this with the sort of analytics movement, there are two factors to it. There's one which is what you're talking about here is. Are they actually using it? And there's a lot of different ways that you can use analytics as a team. Uh, first, um, you can use analytics to acquire better players, to um, determine better players in the draft, you know, that kind of thing, right? And then there's also the on-field thing of um, how can we get the player to develop into a better player, um, so both parts, you have to have buy-in and you've got to use it. So one of my favorite things was uh, Dave Cameron, who was managing editor at, editor at Fangraphs. <laughs> um, he was hired by the San Diego Padres. Um, he started uh, Wikipedia, at least says, in January 2018, which sounds about right, I think, um, if I remember correctly. So he was hired by the Padres to be in the uh, in their front office as an analyst. Dave Cameron was the most outspoken writer I think I saw on the entire internet that offseason talking about how Eric Cosmer was not going to be worth the money that he was trying to get. Lo and behold, what did the San Diego Padres do? 
but hire and not hire. They they signed Eric Hosmer and Dave Cameron's voice clearly d- fell on deaf ears, you know, at that point. So they didn't they had the information, which was correct, by the way. Eric Hosmer has been replacement level over the last two years. Cameron was right. But the Padres listened and just went, nah, we're going to do it anyway. So there's always that danger. You got to know and you have to respect the uh, value that analytics brings. Um, so that's that's certainly part of it. And it, it'll be really interesting, I think, how the Royals move forward with analytics will indeed depend on who they hire. That's a can of worms on its own. But really the second part of it is, and this is what the piece didn't really delve into, not so much, is um, are the Royals playing catch-up in this department? Or are they leading the edge? Or somewhere in between or on the cutting edge. Um, and, and we really don't know, uh, you know, Moneyball, what people think of as Moneyball was, uh, every team does that now. It's what's next are the Royals. One of the teams that are, um, in and looking how to squeeze all of the possible talent out of their roster and help their, their players become the best that they can be and acquire players in the best way possible or are they just sort of adopting things because you can't not do it, right? And the, I, I honestly don't know. Um, I, I don't know guess. enough. <laughs> I have a pretty yeah, good guess. Yeah. I mean, like, because really, it's and it's not just the Royals. It's the Astros are leading the pack by a pretty good margin. And, you know, maybe if you want to say, like, the Dodgers and then maybe the Yankees and a couple other teams. But, you know, it's the Astros setting the pace right now. Right. And the Royals right. are playing catch. And, and, you know, and God bless them for trying. I think, and, and they need to try. And they need to. You're right. They, it's kind of like the, the the base minimum of what you need to do is is like have an analytics department and have Rapsodo and Edgetronic and all these things. Uh, it, it, but what what do you do next? How do you catch up with the Astros? And we don't know. I mean, a lot of this stuff is proprietary. I don't expect them to tell Alec Lewis what they're doing. You know, much more than what they did. And a lot of the stuff is in a black box. But um, but we, yeah, we need to start seeing, I guess, more results of it. I mean, you know, what you want to see is more guys having performances that maybe ex- exceed what you expected. You know, Hunter Dozier, I think, is a nice start, but you need you need some more guys like that, more, especially on the pitching side, because the Astros seem to, to just, you know, work wonders with some of these guys. You know, where's our Jordan, Jordan Alvarez, who the uh, Astros got uh, for pretty much a middling reliever from the Dodgers, who are a smart organization as well, and they've turned him into the rookie of the year. You know, uh, you know the Royals need to find guys like that. And um, I feel like they're probably playing catch-up. Uh, I don't know how far behind they are. I think that's probably the bigger question. Are they kind of with the middle of the pack? Are they behind the pack? Um, or they, they maybe maybe a little closer to the Astros than we think. I don't think we really know the answer to that one. Uh, but, um, but, you know, at least I think what we heard from Alec Lewis was at least encouraging that they're at least on the right track. So we'll have to see. And, and you know, the other caveat is John Sherman, the, the new owner, is supposedly pretty receptive to these kind of ideas and wants to be cutting edge. Uh, we'll see if he follows through with that as well. Uh, there was another good article this week I want to discuss, and I think, Matthew, you touched upon it a little bit. Uh, Sam McDowell of the Star talked with Danny Duffy about his battles with anxiety and depression. Uh, you know, I think we knew some of the battles Duffy was facing, Craig, but I'm not sure we knew it was quite to this extent. He, he detailed a uh, kind of uh, his, his early in his career in 2010, there was a gang of pitchers in the clubhouse that kind of made his life a living hell, really some awful kind of hazing behavior. Um, and he was already kind of, I think, a guy that was kind of uh, sensitive and maybe he was battling his own anxiety issues. 
Uh, what was just kind of your reaction to the piece? I know it was a lot to take in with Duffy. Um, what, what, what was your response once you read that that piece? Massive respect, first of all, for for Duffy to to come forward. I mean, it, it couldn't have been easy, and uh, you know, hopefully, he's you know kind of. Uh, brought to light that, uh, you know, if you're struggling, if you're having a difficult time, you know, you, you don't have to be alone in, in that struggle that, uh, you know, even, even these, uh, you know, athletes that, that are revered, uh, you know, uh, among fans are, you know, are facing some of the same kind of issues. Um, I, I just, I thought it was really big of him to, to open up like that. And, uh, you know, my respect for him just just grew exponentially, um, you know, through through reading that that piece. Um, the other takeaway that I that I had, you know, was um, it's really unbelievable that the Royals clubhouse, you know, that that this was allowed to happen, um, and it made me think about Trey Hillman and you know who was the manager of that team at that time, and how you know he was just not the right guy for that situation, which leads me to pivot back to Mike Matheny, which, you know, again, you know, I, I was reading that the article from 2018 at, at the athletic about, you know, uh, Bud Norris and, and Hicks and, and, you know, how Matheny basically, he let that happen. He, he let that bullying and that hazing happen. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's unfortunate that it's, that it's a part of the game, uh, you know, more players like Duffy speaking out about it, you know, hopefully will, will you know, help eradicate this. It's never going to, you know, completely go away. Um, but, you know, there, there just needs to be an awareness about it. And, and, and Duffy speaking publicly is, is a really good step. And uh, so, you know, I mean, yeah, just, just you know, huge respect for him because it, 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 it couldn't have been easy to open up. And, and it, it, it helps us, too, as, as – you know, uh, you know, people who have followed his career, it helps us kind of understand him a little bit more. Uh, you know, he's had a lot of ups and downs and, and he's still grinding. So, you know, uh, you know, good for him. On Sunday, we also saw Alberto Montesi re-injure his left shoulder, diving for a ball. And uh, he'll have some further tests this week, but he is going to be shut down for the remaining week left in the season. Sean, should he have even been out there at all? I mean, I don't know what was to be gained by having him out in September uh, you know, and he hasn't, uh, you know, there's certainly there was a risk and they asked him not to dive for balls, not to dive on the bases, base paths. Should the Royals have just shut him down in September? You know, I don't know. That kind of seems like it's one of those, like told you so is the wrong word, but it's one of those words. Like it's in hindsight, easy to say, Oh yeah, they should have. Um, on the one hand, it's like, okay, you know, he's been back for a little bit and you know, he's cleared medically, um, he didn't seem to be having much of an issue when he was playing, other than obviously when he got hurt um, on Sunday. But you know, he's been mostly fine, it seemed like. But on the other hand, if you have to tell your player that he can't dive, he can't slide, he can't do most stuff, maybe he shouldn't be playing. Um, but I don't really have an issue with him coming back necessarily. In hindsight, you know, we, it's easy to say that. But um, I don't know. It didn't seem to affect him. But obviously, you know, when he dove and fell on it, that that obviously affected him. So it's kind of hit and miss, I think, but um, I think mostly no, I, I think it was fine if they felt comfortable with it and, you know, they're working with a lot more information on it than we are obviously. So, uh, but you know, then again, what's the point of having him play another month? Um, 
or however you know however long he's been back. So I don't know, but I, I think it was fine mostly. Finally, Jorge Soler hit his 45th home run of the year to tie Mike Trout for the American League lead. Trout is out for the year, so if Soler is able to hit another home run and keep uh, Nelson Cruz, who I believe is trailing by four home runs, uh, then then uh, Jorge Soler could become the first uh, American Royals player ever to lead the league in home runs. And Matthew, you kind of wrote about his chase for the home run title this year and how we shouldn't let uh, the 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 boom in home runs this year kind of affect how we feel about Soler. So what's kind of your take on Jorge Soler's uh, chase of the home run title? Yeah, it's been really great. And I mean, to be, you know, incredibly pedantic, I, he, if the season ended today, he would be the leader. He just would be co-leader, but uh, that's not nearly as fun. So let's hope he gets another home run. Um, yeah, I think the most of the, um, where the home runs are going is, uh, is to the guys who would maybe hit 10 home runs, 15 home runs. Instead of that, they're hitting 20 or 30. You know, I think that's that's where the, the main difference is. It's really hard to stay healthy all year and hit 45. So that's just really, really hard to do. And that's why we have, you know, some people who have hit over 40, I think it's seven um, off the top of my head um, in Major League Baseball. But, you know, that that's that's not a lot. And, you know, um, most years, there's not somebody who even gets to 50. And you think about the ball, the ball is juiced, right? And no one's hitting 60 or 70 home runs. So hitting 45 is a, is a big deal. It really is. Um, and as for what it says about Jorge Soler, you know, I've, I've seen some rumblings on Twitter, you know, like, oh, you know, maybe he's taken PEDs. But, you know, I don't know how you could look at him before and say, yeah, he could hit 40 home runs if he was healthy, you know, I think that much has been clear his entire career. The problem was, is he going to stay healthy enough? And is he just going to, you know, put the pieces together for a full season? And it's, it's really great to see for Jorge Soler. Um, It's really sort of interesting to see what his future as a Royal is. And as with the new ownership is doing to a lot of things, it's cloudier. Um, Personally, I think the Royals would do well to extend him um, and see if you can't win in 2021. And if you're just not there yet, then you can trade him. Um, I understand the, uh, you know, the desire to trade him when his value is high. I think that's okay. Um, but if you extend him, you can keep both keep him and trade him later if you need to. Um, and that's how the Royals got to trade Zach Granke in the first place, right? So they extended him to an extension. And they wouldn't have even had him under team control at that point in, um, you know, 2010. We asked for a trade, uh, but they didn't because he signed an extension. And if you're lucky, you know, the same sort of thing happens with Solaire. And if you're really, really lucky, the Royals make the playoffs in 2021 and you don't have to worry about it. Um, But it's been been really exciting, although he's he's sort of slowed down, as have the Royals, I suppose, um, you know, last couple weeks. Yeah, I'd hate if he he slowed down to the point where he just kind of got stuck uh, on 45 with Trout. Uh, but yeah, the, the extension talk would be uh, it'll be interesting a discussion topic this off season. And it sounds like we're going to have a really interesting off season with a lot of transition for this organization. So you know, definitely you know keep coming to Royals Review. I, I'm sure we'll discuss all the all the uh, possible uh, transactions and, and moves the Royals can make this off season, especially with new ownership and, and a new manager. It looks like. Well, that'll do it for us for this show. I want to thank again Sean 
Matthew and Craig for being on the uh, podcast. And thanks to all our readers and listeners at Royals Review, and we'll talk to you next time. Hey!